I would like to acknowledge that this podcast is created on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri, Wurrung and Bunurong peoples of the Eastern Kulin Nations and I pay my respect to their elders past and present. I also acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Hello and welcome to Rose Tinted Law, the podcast. I am Rose Inglis, founder of Rose Tinted Law and your host. RTL is a professional development platform for curious and open-minded legal professionals. This podcast is a space to have honest conversations about legal careers with people who are boldly carving out their unique place in our profession. Fiona McClay is a legal tech consultant helping lawyers make better use of tech tools. She's also the author of Tech Enabled Lawyer and a consultant and tech evangelist at McClay Legal Consulting. Fiona is someone whose name you will immediately recognise if you are part of the Australian legal tech and innovation community where she has a super strong network. This conversation with Fiona really encapsulates the whole reason why I wanted to start this podcast in the first place. I really wanted to create a space where I could have honest conversations with people who are boldly carving out their unique place in our profession. And I wanted to ask people about the in-between bits and twists and turns of their careers so I could better understand how and why people make certain decisions and pivots as these are the types of perspectives that you just can't glean from a good old LinkedIn store or it may be a bit too nosy to ask straight up at a networking event. So from looking at her LinkedIn, we glean that Fiona spent 27 years of her legal career as a lawyer in both large and small firms. Then in 2019, a shift happened and she started steering her legal career towards consulting and technology. In this episode, we explore that shift. We talk about how and why she opted out of the partnership track and how she embarked upon a very deliberate and brave path of career reinvention. What I love about this conversation with Fiona McClay is that she acknowledges that all of this takes time. It takes years. It takes years to build a strong personal brand and establish yourself as a thought leader in your chosen niche. And it also takes time to build those strong networks and find your tribe. And in order to reinvent yourself, it also requires significant investment in yourself so that you can realize your dreams. I hope you enjoy this honest conversation and it helps open your eyes to the limitless possibilities as to where your legal career may take you. Fiona McClay, welcome to Rose Tinted Law, the podcast. Thanks, Rose. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm really excited to uh, have this conversation with you because when I was preparing for it, I actually realized the initial idea for the podcast was so I could have this type of conversation with people just like you. (laughs) So it was literally like how, like, to kind of go behind the scenes of all of like the LinkedIn updates and the stuff that you see. Uh, like 
online about people oh. doing their thing. But I'm always yeah. like, but how did they get there? Or yeah. Like what's changed? And looking at your uh, like your experience, like I can see that there's some really interesting things that have happened behind the scenes, and I can't wait to <laughs> uh, be enlightened on your no. how how it's all come about. I th- I think it's a great thing to explore because when you're standing on on the outside, you you can just just be trying to work out how did they do this or build this, and and I love hearing those stories too. Yes. So. So um, we're nailing the brief already. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so let's start at the very beginning. What type of law student were you? So I didn't decide to study law until quite late. My mum was a solicitor and she advised me not to become a lawyer because she said it was a terrible job for a woman. And uh, and then I didn't get the marks to study law. And so I, um, I, I now, looking back, I, I, I had a lot of anxiety in year 12, but nobody knew about it back then. And I completely bombed in my final exams. And so instead of being a good student with good marks, I was a good student with not so good marks and not good enough to get into law. Um, so I decided to study economics and um, counting because I thought, well, that, that way I'll get a good job. And I was quite young. I finished. I was still 17. Um, again, now I would have gone on a gap year and my whole life could have been much different, but, but back then I was yeah. determined I need to get a job. Um, and so um, I really didn't like accounting very much and I particularly didn't like the statistics. Uh, the only subject that I liked was commercial law and I did well enough in that to be able to transfer into law uh, in at the end of first year. And I had the good fortune to sit at the back row of the first uh, of law subject when I was a second year, but, you know, feeling very superior and old. And I sat next to somebody who's still my, one of my closest friends um, who had done the same thing. And we became a little bit of a buddy team and we split up the courses that we studied. Um, and it was all open book exams back then. And so... Um, we were a bit of a, um, I don't know what you call, but an accountability buddy system, and we, we studied through all of the law subjects and swapped notes with each other and went into exams and answered those questions on the other person's notes. Um, and Teamwork and collaboration. Absolutely. Has always been a part of the McClay method. <laughs> that I now know this. Um, so, yeah, so went through law school and um, still really, I mean, I, I, I didn't really have, I thought I was going to be, <laughs> this whole story, what I thought was going to happen, what actually happened is going to be completely different. Um, I thought I was going to be a really collaborative, constructive type of lawyer and then that would, and I was really lucky and got a summer clerkship at a large firm and the placement that I got in, when I became a graduate there was in the litigation team and they were really nice to me and I really liked litigation to my complete surprise and um, it was doing professional indemnity insurance litigation and so everything that came in every matter was a new puzzle that you sort of had to work out what had happened how the brain surgery should have gone and you got to talk to naughty professionals hosts. yeah yeah and you got to talk to all these clever people yeah and and learn about how you know roads were built and how 
people did orthopedic surgery and um so and and people are just so fascinating yep so i i did all of that um and then that team sort of moved to a smaller a mid-tier firm um and i kept working with them and so i'd had sort of two jobs in my whole life and then um i just got a bit um disillusioned with it um and I didn't really see a path forward. And so I ended up moving to a smaller law firm, still to do litigation, but more commercial litigation. And that I really enjoyed. Instead of working for big corporates, I was acting for the people who were actually making decisions and business owners. And we did a lot of shareholder disputes. So, you know, where people had formed a business together and then that all made a bit of money and now they're all fighting over it or um, high net worth individuals, family disputes, you know, wills mm-hmm. and some things. Again, lots of really interesting problems um, and lots of people problems to unravel. Um, the thing about working in a small firm was that there was just me and the boss. Um, there, there, were, there weren't too many hands on deck and so when a big job came in, uh, we had to get it done and that's when I really got interested in tech. Um, so I started just playing with – and the other the nice thing about a small firm is you can just say, I think this looks good, I'll put a credit card in and give it a go. Yeah. So I, I just got hooked on it uh, and I could see how useful it could be for levelling the playing field when you work up against a much better resource opponent. Plus also I could, you know, get the discovery done and sleep and so that was – Huge. So, so I was totally not a nerd. I was not a coder. Didn't play video games. Um, a lot of my friends are nerds. I, I, I get on with them very well, but it was that was not me. So, I'm slightly surprised to find myself now being uh, a full time legal tech consultant because it is not something that I saw in my future. Yeah, I think that's part of your appeal as a legal tech consultant because you seem very down to earth and like very like the your approach is like um like relatable and very personable well I think I'm just, I'm really interested in the people side of tech if that makes yep. sense like I think the buying the tech does not solve anything but enabling people to work better and and yep. improve the way that we can do things using tech is where I think the really the the, the genius is um, so, bef- so just completing the normal part of your legal career, yeah, that part yeah. of the, the story. Um, yeah. so working in a small firm, you started to experiment with, uh, technology and uh, I guess business improvement. Yeah. And I, and I suppose the other thing that happened when I'd got there is while I'd been on a sort of traditional path, you know, solicitor, senior associate, and then. I'd, I'd gone to that smaller firm as a special counsel, um, and so then you know, the only path from there was part of the law firm. Yeah, and um, I looked around, and funnily enough, I, I what actually was one of the things I went to a financial planner, and they were like, "Oh, well, you can you know do this and buy a zillion properties, and you know, spend in, leverage all this stuff, and you'll be able to retire in five years." And I was like, well, "What am I going to do?" Um, you know, I, I was just like, I need, I, I don't want to retire. I actually want to have a job that I enjoy doing. And so then I started to just look around and I was like, I don't think I can do this for another 20 years. Uh, this litigation thing is 
really taxing on me um, and my health is not great. Um, I was too overweight. I didn't do enough exercise. I used to get mm. stressed. Um, and so I was like, okay. Um, and then I was like, right, I don't really see any models of people who have been able to make this work for them. Um, there's a lot of relationship breakups, a lot of health issues. Um, and I came across a, a tribe of people who were doing it, but I went out looking for some people and I found um, the Happy Lawyer Club that um, Clarissa Ray went in Brisbane started. And they were a bunch of business owners who were committed to trying new things and mm. business improvement. And, and it's sort of a bit more entrepreneurial way of running law. And I went and got um, a coach, a business coach and career coach, and I said, you know, I need to change. What I need some help. Um, and it was like, right, well, you need to have a personal profile. You need to be known for something. You need to have a network. And I was like, okay, well, none of those. Um, you know, I, I think I had 50 followers on LinkedIn or 50, you know. And yeah, yeah, so yeah. So I just started piece, piece by piece um, picking something that I that I believed in and stood for and talking on LinkedIn about that. When, back then it was talking about business breakups. Um, but picking one subject really helped me to have something that I could always say something about that one topic um, and get a bit a, a bit known for that. Um, and it morphed over time as I decided to move out of litigation into talking about legal tech and, and talking about change in law firms. Um, but I also looked around... And having that tribe of people that were there to say, you can do this, um, and who were trying things and who were sharing that, you know, they'd succeeded mm. or they'd failed, that made an enormous amount of difference because a lot of the law can be, especially litigation, can be a very negative place. You know, 50% yeah. of the time you lose. Um, even when you settle, a lot of the time your client is unhappy with the outcome, took longer, it costs yeah. more, and the system doesn't always give a, a good outcome. So yeah. um, being in a, around pe with people who were prepared to try new things made a huge difference to me. Yeah. Um, what you have just shared will resonate with so many people and definitely a lot of people within my network are seeing that partnership is actually not that aspirational. Like, yes, you can have a huge amount of wealth, but as you said, it comes at a huge personal cost to your health, to your relationships, not in all cases, but in many cases. And um, when you were toying that up, like was it a hard decision or was it an easy decision? Can you talk us through like kind of that process of switching tracks because it yeah. sounded, sounds pretty attractive what you described when you saw your financial planner. <laughs> You're absolutely right, and I've just summarised it, and it, and that process probably took three years. Yes, and, and, a, yeah. and a lot of, and I think that's important to recognise. Yeah. yeah, that it's in hindsight. Yep, it's a smooth thing, but actually, it takes three years of soul what searching. What am I doing? Yes, yeah. Why? And look, the other thing that happened is. I thought, okay, well, maybe litigation's not for me. Maybe I can get a job in this legal tech stuff. It sounds interesting. I don't know. I must have applied for 20, 25 jobs, you know. And um, no, well, a lot of them were looking for entry-level people and I was like, oh. You, you weren't entry-level, yes. I'm not entry-level and I have a mortgage. And yes. So, then I, so the, the, 
starting my own business in one way became an easy decision because there was no other option. You know, I had I had done all the things. I'd, I'd raised my personal profile. I'd got a network. I'd, I'd asked for the jobs and they, that had not worked. So the next option was to back myself and to um, create my own business. Um, yes. But, again, that process, maybe seven years, you know, that, that was yes. a long time. And one of the things that really helped me was, when I was, when once you sort of make the decision, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Things become a bit clearer because then you know, okay, I have to make a change. Yeah. Um, and so I had some long service leave, and I thought, right, I'm going to, you know, all my life I'd been. When I get long service, I'm going to get a great holiday. I'm going to Europe. I mean, I got to that long service leave. I limped literally over the over the line, I sat on the couch, I, I maybe went for a walk. But, you know, that two months just flew by and um, I hadn't achieved anything but I just needed that time to rest. You gave yourself space. Yeah, yeah. That's so important and rest and just and then, yeah permission and then, to just chill for a bit, yeah. And I found this book um, this career coach in the US called Liz Ryan, she wrote a book about and she talked about the desert of reinvention and that concept just really resonated with me because of what she said is you've made a decision that you want to change things. You don't know where you're going. You just know that you're in the wilderness. You're going to have to try some things. The first thing you try might not be perfect, but it's change and, and you might just have to, like, jumping across lily pads across you just take the next best option from where Mm -hmm. you are now Mm -hmm. and once you get out into the middle of the thing you'll be able to see new options open up so trust in that process that change itself will open up new doors and that again because being that lawyer type and you know we've come through in this very clearly defined roadmap um it's like a travel ladder you know you get on the first step and it just takes you to the end and so jumping off that was really really hard um and having the being able just to say I don't know what this is going to look like in six months or 12 months time but this is the right thing to do now and I have to just trust that something good will come out of this even even paying for a, a business coach, I mean, it was, I don't know, it was a couple of thousand dollars and I was like, that's way too much money to waste on talking about myself. But <laughs> if I hadn't have done that, I would never have been able to get that help to recognise you know, what my strengths were, um, to yes. break down what, what were the concrete steps I needed to do to get that, that cheering and that support. And so um, I now think that um, that was absolutely crucial. Um, And same thing with when I decided to write a book, I got a book coach. Um, And so so some of these things, they're hard, so get the support. You don't have to work this all out on your own. Um, There are people who have worked out a way to do this and you can use them. I love all of what you've said just then. Um, But... uh, how, so let's talk about your consultancy. Mm-hmm. How long have you been doing it for? What do you do? Who are your clients? Like how did you start? Tell mm-hmm. us everything. Okay. <laughs> so I, I started having a law firm. So I started working as a, a freelance lawyer, litigation lawyer. And 
that gave me um, some income. Yep. Um, and um, so that wasn't too much of it. And, and again, using a network that I already had, I was able to get it into a, a role. So then while I was doing that, I started to work out what I wanted to do, started to write that book. I was I started I was working four days a week as a um, litigation lawyer under contract and the rest of the time um, working on what my business could be. Um, my I knew my wife it was a marketing consultant and that is and, so and, handy. Yeah. So so she has been Basically, when businesses have bought, you know, the tech dream and then 18 months later and nobody can make it work and, and there's no return on investment, she used to come in like a SWAT team and just, you know, sort stuff out. And I was like, okay, law firms need this. You know, they're, they're, they're being buying software, hoping it'll do something for them, but, you know, no one uses it. And, and so I could sort of see the need um, and I knew there was lots of consultants addressing in-house teams um, and there were some doing law firms but I thought that having worked across big firms, medium firms, small firms uh, yeah, I, and in-house I, I could help um, and so then I was, again leaning on those networks that I'd built over the past couple of years of all those sort of entrepreneurial type businesses um, just went out to them. I, I had a a master, I was part of a mastermind group with them for a while and I just would be road testing. Would you pay for this? What would you pay? What what, what would you need? What what would something useful to you be? And just trying to find out where I could match something that I could make money out of that would give enough value for them to pay. And so we came up with this idea of um, a, walking around the office and assessing their, their, their tech um, tech adoption and tech implementation, and then coming up with recommendations. So, like a tech fairy godmother. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> well, I was calling it a tech audit, and then people told me that made them think about trust accounting and. and that sounds and too so, boring. Uh, yeah, You're a boring I person. I might steal the fairy godmother concept. Leave that to more se- sensible people, but like, yeah. you know, there's space for everybody. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Um, so, was it hard? What like. Sometimes I, like, you know, we say, oh, we have a growth mindset, we embrace feedback, but sometimes it's hard. Oh, yeah. No. How did you go with that process of asking and receiving and, I don't know, incorporating? I, I still struggle with it. Um, I'm, I'm not a, a natural entrepreneur and um, part of me is like, just go and get a job. Um, I suppose what oh, I... Oh, I think that all the time. <laughs> Why can't you just have a normal job? But... But I, I, I think what I what I do like I I really love the the going and running a workshop and the opening people's minds to some of the possibility and, and being able to help them to see something. A lot of it may be common sense, but just it's no one's job or they haven't got time or I can see things from objectively and, and having seen what works in other places that they can't see. Um, and and I think having a neutral third party yeah, as well yeah, is yeah. really good. Yeah. And I think that's the benefit of having a consultant come in. It's like, okay, well, uh, yeah, it's it's easier to digest and also realise when it's somebody else. Yeah. that's it. And also that 
um, all those years of listening to people tell their stories in litigation, you know, somebody who can talk to everybody and, and work out, okay, what, what's really happening here? Because a lot of the time what, what one piece person sees is happening and what another person, you know, they're diametrically opposed. Um, so, so, yeah, and then, the I mean, I do help fit firms who want to do a project and don't maybe have enough resources so they can just bring in somebody who can just be that sort of project-specific person to get some momentum. Um, and also the piece around just persuading lawyers of the benefits of technology because I, it, I, it upsets me greatly, but um, just because you found a great piece of technology does not mean that Having told people the name of it, that is not enough to make them, you know, you start using it and transform the way they work. Uh, and so there is a piece around managing that change. Do most law firms do that well or not? Uh, not, not particularly. And <laughs> and look, as you know, lawyers can be um, a bit risk adverse, a, a bit sceptical, uh, a bit... And some of them for very good reasons. If you're working at really high capacity, you've got a lot going on, the system that you have is is coping, you know, just, um, and being asked to take something new on and try something new can just be to, when you haven't got enough bandwidth, that can be a really big ask. And so having somebody there who can just help you, this is the goal, this is what you're trying to achieve, this will be worth it, um, you're not wasting your time, That having that extra support really can make a difference there. And also where you have different views. Um, some people are really not that interested in it, but in order to be future-proof or resilient, whatever that this change needs to happen, then you do need to find a way of getting some collaboration and, and some cooperation so that overall you can achieve those goals across the organisation even though it requires some individuals to be uncomfortable. Um, Are you doing Maclay Legal Consulting full-time these days? Yeah, I am. That's huge. Well done. Yeah. um, In June, I was able to sort of... um, finish a, a con. I had a long-term contract for a while, but I've, yep. I've finished that, um, and that, that was doing legal tech consulting. And so now it's it's purely just. So I guess that that's been my path through in st- establishing my business is to get something that will cover the bills, um, yes. and then try to build the business on the side, and then that, that when that's uh, sustainable, then helps me move in. How so, do you, oh sorry, how do you balance? Um, working on your business and in your business yeah that's a constant struggle too yeah uh, and I know some people you know Monday is on the business day and the rest of the is in the business um I don't think I have the perfect mix I'm I'm trying to experiment with moving to a different location and having that being my yeah. um on the business um I'm also I think that Buddying up with an accountability partner, I think that would probably work really well for me, and I should probably do more of that. <laughs> you should something you should do when you get to it. <laughs> when you have time to find the accountability partner, you'll do it. It's so hard. That's what I found. Um, I was doing a lot of consulting last year, and it was what I realized is I was I was I was working on someone else's business, not my own. Yeah. 
And then I found I was getting really frustrated. I didn't have the time to do it for myself. And then I've got very, like you, like like big visions and big plans and high expectations and everything. And it's so much. Yeah. It's like it's hard and it's really rewarding, yeah. but it's also like it's so hard. <laughs> it is. And I also had to get much better at saying no, like when people yeah. were offering stuff and, and just say, no, I, I, I cannot can't take that because that yeah. won't get me to where I need to be. Um, but also you have to just in some sense to be a bit patient and persistent. Like like you do all these things and you're like, where's the payoff? And if you just wait another couple of weeks, it comes. Yeah, it's but coming. You've just got to, yeah. you've got to hold your ground a bit. Um, can we talk about the book? Yeah. So um, you have self-published The Tech-Enabled Lawyer. Yes. Um, can you please – Kind of tell us how you got the idea and then how you did it and then how how's it going? Yeah, yeah. No. Um, so it it was sort of directly inspired by the, the, um, Clarissa Raywood. She wrote a book to start off this the happy lawyer side of her business. Um, and a lot of people in that sort of tribe have written books. And there is a she has a particular business coach called Andrew Griffith who um, helps people write business books. And when COVID came and I was we just moved to Melbourne and so it's like okay, well we're going to have a bit more time on our hands. Um, so he was running a program where he was offering to do a group coaching session for lawyers who want to write a book as a way of showing people what you would like to work with um, and a real with the for the deliberate purpose of it being lead generation. And so working with him helped me be confident that at the end I was going to have something that was going to add value to my business and it wasn't just that I was writing a book as uh, some sort of, I don't know, project. Vanity but, project. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think um, it is, I can really see the benefit from from doing it because you make yourself a thought leader in your niche and because when you are create like you are literally creating your own unique place in the legal profession there's no one else doing it quite like you and i think to own your spot and explain what you're good at what you know i do think that's um yeah really beneficial and i can just really see how it's like helped you and like a lot of other people in that network as well how long yeah. did it take well yeah, it ended up taking me two years. It's not supposed to take that long. <laughs> um, but look at it, and he talks he talks about it being as a self development, and it really you do really do learn a lot about yourself because it is a big project, and you're creating what you think, you know, and and putting it that all down, filling your own gap, like you you've yeah. identified a gap in the market, and then you're filling it. Yeah, yeah. But, um, I was supposed to write forty thousand words, but I wrote a hundred thousand words, so then I had to get an editor to cut that back. Um, it's so to, hard to write succinctly. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so he cut it back to about 50,000 words, but then that didn't make sense, so I had to add in some bits <laughs> to make it make sense and then got up to six. And then I was like, right. I'm just you don't gonna... want to make a textbook. There's enough boring legal <laughs> textbooks out there. Yeah. So so then uh, anyway, got it off to the publishers and then the next week the ChatGPT launched and so so, um, so there, there is not a lot there's there it does talk about AI and machine learning but not not a much so I, I'll have to do a second edition to be honest I don't reckon a huge amount has changed since whenever you 
published oh, it. Oh, no. Actually, uh, I mean, if some products that I mentioned in there have gone out. Of, uh, look, and I knew that. when I, I knew if I was writing a book about technologies as soon as I wrote it, it would be out of date. Um, yeah. So I, I, I was very careful to talk about it's about the approach. It's about how to uh, strategically assess tech. It's about what use cases are there for, for automation and technology. I do mention some specific products just because I find it really annoying when people tell you, you know, there's a tool that can do that, but that they don't give you any more. Mm. Mm. Um, so at least you can Google, you know, what's a competitor to product X and you've got a starting point for that research. And I also have a website where I've got sort of an updated list. So if you're looking, if you're a family lawyer and you're looking for a tool that does this use case, then you can find and I and I update that when I come across new things. So I want it to be a bit a, a bit useful. Um, that's that's um. So how do you sell it, and where does it go? Um, so I got a I got a package where the um, they did edited it and they put a cover on it and and they print it and That's great. they it looks so yeah, good. They give you um, an ebook listing and so you can buy it off Amazon or Booktopia or whatever. Cool. Um, and if you need more copy, I I ordered two hundred copies. I sold all of those, so I can just put Were in you a little order. Scared no one was going to buy it. Yes, I was very scared <laughs> no one would buy it. Uh, and. <laughs> Um, and then, um, yeah, you just put in an order and you get another box of books for the amount you need. So if there was a, it's, it's a wonderful time to be writing books now, uh, it, although, you know, everybody's on TikTok and um, it's easier than ever to yeah. um, write a book and be able to publish it. And, have, and it's a good-looking book, you know what I mean? It doesn't it, – um, it's, it's a book of substance, yeah. That's so good. Um, so what you've mentioned, um, you've touched on how you've kind of deliberately, uh, created a strong personal brand and your thought leadership, and it's taken years to do. I really appreciate that you've acknowledged that. Where's your focus now? Yeah, so it's about this piece around each of us, no matter where we're working, I think has an obligation to understand how tech can help. And I don't think tech solves all of our problems, but I think it's a part of what solves it. And we need to know enough to recognise where tech can help and make use of that. If we don't do that, the gap between the people who are tech enabled and the people who aren't is just going to become increasingly wide to the point where you can't bridge that gap. And I really want to help people who are like me. Oh, I don't really understand tech. I can't code. You know, I I can't make the dishwasher work. You know, <laughs> I ring up the help desk all the time and ask some stupid questions. Um, but I understand the importance of it. And so what I just want to do is to help people be able to see that tech doesn't have to be an annoyance and a hindrance and a frustration and that it can be useful but that you have to give yourself enough time to to learn that um it's like anything um it's a it's a skill and you'll get better with practice but not if you don't try with it you have to be prepared to try and fail a few times um so that you can actually get the benefit of increasing what you're able to do. What do you think the most useful 
uh, like tech products are for lawyers? I'm using um, ChatGPT every day. So, yes, I'm so glad you brought that up. What do you use it for? Where do you see the place for ChatGPT in law? So at the moment, I'm not using it to put in client information and I'm not using it to do research. No Uh, way. You will be able to. Tools will come that have got a a more niche training and where there is better security around them. Um, But I am using it to ask it for help to do things that I want to do, like come up with a – I'm going on a walk in Tasmania. I need a training plan. Um, I'm getting it to draft emails that I I can't get started. I'm getting it to help me come up with a social media marketing plan. Yes. Um, Summarise a a concept. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what I use it for too. I've realised ChatGBT is way nicer than I am. Yes. Yeah, it puts in all the, you know, the polite bits. All the the, Yeah, yeah. I asked someone for a testimonial and I I wrote it and I was like, this kind of sounds a bit abrupt. Yeah. Put it into ChatGPT, made a few minor amendments to make it sound more like me. Boom. Glowing testimonial back in a couple of minutes. I'm like, I love myself via ChatGPT. And it always comes up with something that I hadn't thought of. And I'm like, oh, yeah. that, I need to include that. That's good. So, I, I mean, I, I never put in exactly what it's brought back. I always change it somehow. But yeah. um, it, yeah, it does help. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the other things I think, the, the knowledge management piece, um, super important. And So what firms, is knowledge management in case someone doesn't know? Yeah, like sure. What does that involve in a firm? Yeah, so what happens, well, in every law firm I've worked in, um, people work on their own things and they know there was a really good clause about X or there was a really good document that summarised that issue. And if you go back and you find the the West file that we did about maybe six months ago, then you'll be able to find that. Really, really hard. It's all very, it's in tech terms, it's unstructured data and it's really hard for anyone else to access. When someone new comes in, they've got no idea that they should be looking for the, the Smith file from six months ago. So knowledge management is about how can we capture that knowledge that's always been floating around in lawyers' heads and how can we make that accessible. And part of that is process. How do I approach a matter when a new one comes in what are the things that I've learned having done this for 25 years so that I know what what I should be looking out for how do I get that spidey sense so part of it's that um, intangible how do I approach things think about things and part of it is just here is the actual clauses and so one of the things that I think that we've sometimes taught lawyers poorly when I, the way I learnt was just to follow people around and sit in meetings and, and write bad letters and have them scribbled all over with a red pen. Yeah. Um, it's not necessarily a great way of training. What about if I was given, you know, a half-decent template and then I was then being asked to do some adapting that template to apply to the particular circumstances? I think that might have got me to a more usable result faster than me starting from scratch and and producing 10 bad drafts. Mm. Um, so, so I think there's room in that acknowledgement piece to be capturing some of the basics so that we can help um, people who are learning to focus in on the bits that make a difference rather than them spending a lot of time 
scratching around to find precedents that they can just all then shove together. I mean, you do have to learn how to draft. You do have to learn how to communicate. You do have to learn how to make connections with people and how, how to be able to ask the right questions and, and give advice in a way that people can understand. All of those things um, are really important. But there's a lot of time gets wasted on looking for documents in systems or, you know, summarising things or uh, just just finding stuff um, that, that, and knowledge management can help to get rid of that sort of dead time. So what uh, the, what types of knowledge ma- knowledge management tools are do you find helpful for getting that? the stuff out of the lawyer's heads <laughs> and out of the useful documents into something more um, widely used and accessible. So, I mean, so one thing is to just start by having one place where they, they are put and whether that's your practice management system or document management system. Um, I'm a big fan of using some of the tools in Microsoft 365 because a lot of them are already around. There's a tool called Lists. So if you have a... Um, you know, a Word document with all of the things that you refer to or, I don't know, if you've got sort of your collection of cases and precedents and good letters that you've written in the past, you can put that in lists instead and it's much easier to sort and filter and tag things and everybody in the firm can have access to it and you can have custom views. So there's some cool tools like that. But what AI is going to enable us to do is instead of you having the pile of things of, oh, I've got to go through those files and dig out the good precedents, AI will be able to say, okay, here are the top 10 letters that are used when we talk about this particular topic in this firm. This is this is the firm standard. And there are tools now that, that can assess market and oh. tell you this is what is acceptable in the industry and this is a market. Yeah, I think that is so exciting when like all law firms will be able to have access to that type of knowledge management because how much more interesting will it make the lawyer's job? Mm, and yeah. then how much also how much better will the lawyers be at their technical legal skills when they can do that and not be uh, faffing around looking at, you know, different letters and files from like way back when? Yeah. 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 Or, or just the frustration when, when people sort of say to you, oh, go off and do this, and you don't really don't know how to do it. And, you know, there's, there's a good example that you just you can't find because that information isn't indexed or, or accessible. Um, one thing I'd love to um, get a definition on or what you mean, a lot of people – not a lot of people, there's a couple of people who have tech evangelist mm-hmm. as their title. What does that mean? So I, I call myself a tech evangelist. Yeah. And I, I think it means it's somebody who's promoting the benefits of tech. Yep. And I say that because I've had people say to me, um, I love the, the idea that you're positive about tech because Tech stops me from doing my work so often. And uh, in, in sometimes when you're working with a system that isn't well designed or isn't well implemented, then the tech becomes something you have to work around. You know, the computer says no. So it is a, that piece around um, really just getting people to understand how this tool can be useful. Yep, I like that. It's like 
being a champion. It or is. like, yeah, pr- PR. <laughs> yeah, positive PR for tech. Positive PR for tech. I like that. Um, so final three questions that I ask everyone, Fiona, mm-hmm. do you think law is more who you know or what you know? I used to think it was what you know and I learned that who you know, um, I don't know if it's equal or but but I didn't, if I could make, do have my time again, I would give a lot more emphasis on who I know and building my own network and not just relying on the network of people that I worked for. So I actually, I probably tend towards uh, who you know now. What do you wish you could tell your younger self? Yeah, so that one, uh, (laughs) (laughs) that I should spend more time finding a tribe of people who thought like I did and that that would open so many more doors to me uh, and that I it was some I needed to get out from behind the desk and worry less about just, you know, making more billable. I liked and that would teaching me things. That's always what I tell my coaching clients in some yeah. way <laughs> or I encourage yeah. them to do as well. It, it doesn't matter what they, what they come to me for. Yeah. One of my recommendations I get them doing as soon as they start like reaching out to me is building that network, getting out there, meeting the like-minded people because it's just so important and not in a transactional way, in an yeah, authentic that's... way. Yeah. It's not like I'm friends with you because I want you to refer me this piece of work right now. It's like your vibe attracts your tribe. Yeah. And and that abundance, look, we're having a cup of coffee now. I don't think there's anything in concrete that will come out of it, but over time this will be better for both of us. Yeah. yeah. Um, and what is your advice to others who are aspiring to follow in your fabulous shoes? Um, it's that piece around don't panic in the desert of reinvention. Just take the next best step based on the options that you can see and trust that it's not forever. Uh, it, and it, it can feel really hard when you thought, you know, you're in your forever job to, to, to take that leap. But you, it's like a muscle. Once, once you take a few chances and you back yourself, it gets much, much easier. That's such a nice note to end on. Thank you so much, Fiona. Thanks, Rose. And there you have it, my honest conversation with the brilliant Fiona McClay on how she has well and truly carved out her unique place in our legal profession. Now, if you are someone who has resonated with Fiona's career journey and is perhaps dreaming up or seriously contemplating a career shift, then I have created a resource just for you. I've created a career coaching guide that sets out a six-step process designed to help you create your own unique legal career strategy. It is free and you can download it now. The link is in the show notes. And in the show notes, you'll also find Fiona's contact details and how you can purchase her book, The Tech Enabled Lawyer. As Fiona acknowledged, it is essential to find your tribe and you are part of mine. 
If you know someone who may be inspired by Fiona's career journey, I would be so grateful if you would please share this episode with that someone. Please also follow, rate, subscribe, review on whichever platform you're listening to this on. It helps me more than you know. You can also please follow me on Instagram at Rose Tinted Law or reach out to me via LinkedIn, Rose Inglis. I hope you enjoy listening to this honest conversation and it helps open your eyes to the limitless possibilities as to where your legal career may take you.